Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 12th of April, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Derrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border. Well, I'm going to be able to get a haircut soon, Mike, apparently. Today, if you really were to tell well, well, no, I'm going to leave it a few days because I think the COVID virus is going to be rushing into all the hairdressers because it's the only place that it can still get at people. Uh, well, uh, it is the beginning of the grand reopening, apparently, or is it? Uh, this is a very good question. Non-essential shops, gyms, beauty salons. Is that where you'll be going for a haircut, Brian? <laughs> and, I would think so. And uh, they can now open. You can go indoors. You can get what you need to get done. Pubs and restaurants uh, can only open for outdoor visitors only. Uh, and, of course, that's on the day that uh, this is what a lot of people in England are looking at. Uh, snow on the ground. Uh, this is uh, Steve Baker tweeting this out today. So uh, I'm sure lots of people will be sitting outside the pubs. Uh, this afternoon uh, and this evening. Um, so uh, this was the type of headline that we were getting. Voice of the mirror, easing of lockdowns around the UK as a moment for caution, caution and celebration. Yeah, so so the, the psychological twist is still in there to keep people's heads screwed up it, as it, much as possible. It certainly is. And the BBC on the Today programme this morning really uh, trying to celebrate this because apparently they were in hairdressers and other places like that. Uh, so that was all good stuff. But as I say, for pubs and restaurants, well, it is the rule of six. You may not go into, even though you're sitting outside, you may not go to a pub uh, or a restaurant uh, with any more than six people or two households together. Um, the restrictions are apparently going to be lifted finally on the 21st of June. So the question then is, and there's going to be a gradual uh, lifting of restrictions between now and then. So where are we? Well, of course, shops will have restrictions on footfall. Uh, and because they have to maintain social distancing measures, the kinds that we saw last year, pubs and restaurants have restrictions on numbers. They're going to have to maintain social distancing and rules over QR codes and so on have to be managed. Um, so the question, David, if I could welcome you to the program to, to lead off with is, how can these businesses survive um, whenever they don't have the footfall, they don't have the, uh, the, the numbers going through the tills, as it were, um, even though we're being told that uh, restrictions are lifted and we should all celebrate. This isn't really any cause for celebration. Um, businesses can't exist on effectively three months of normal sort of normality, bearing in mind that we're likely to be heading back into some form of lockdown in the autumn. Yes, and perhaps quite early autumn because we have government computer models and we all know how reliable they are, are predicting uh, what we're on third wave. Uh, in August, it seems highly unlikely, but that's what the computer models show. And, uh, computer models must be believed. Um, how can how can businesses survive in this? Well, they can't. Uh, they only can survive if they're sponsored, subsidised, and supported by the government, and the government will get the money from magic money tree. I think. Uh, well, we'll come on to a little bit of that later on. But uh, on Friday's programme, Patrick Henderson was, was talking about what's going on in the United States. And well, actually, we have to go to the US and to Bloomberg for perhaps from the mainstream media, a voice of reason. Um, so this is the headline. The pandemic isn't over, but we're over it. The beginning of the end of the pandemic, as seen from Florida, New York and Rhode Island. And uh, uh, Joe Nocera here is really contrasting what's going on in Florida and other parts of the country. Um, so this is what he has to say. Uh, he says it got him thinking about uh, 
pandemics, maybe what happens is not that the virus goes away or is rendered impotent by the vaccine, uh, but that people simply decide to have a go, uh, have a go and get on with their lives despite the risk. Um, and of course, he's uh, contrasting, as I say, what's going on in uh, in uh, Florida with people uh, doing going about their daily business, doing their shopping, going to the restaurants with no restrictions. Uh, and while he's saying that some people are wearing masks, staff that is uh, people um, who are visiting those uh, uh, places aren't uh, wearing masks; they're just getting on with their lives. I think it's a very important point. Um, and, uh, you know, if we're feeling depressed about what's going on with respect to lockdown and the effect that it's happening on bus having on businesses, it's really up to us to make a decision about how we want to live. Uh, yeah, completely. But I'm going to say people certainly shouldn't feel depressed. That's a really bad way to look at it. You're entitled to feel angry. It's just you keep the anger under control so that you do the right thing with it. But don't feel depressed about it. You're watching you're watching policies um, brought in by, well, I've got to use the word, I think these people are psychopaths and, uh, and you should regard them as lab rats, so don't get depressed. Um, but David, uh, what's the hand of God doing in the meantime? Well, this is a, a, a remarkable um, series of, of um, bits of information, bits of tweets and reports from initially Brazil. This, this started in Brazil. And uh, the, the initial report was meant to make us all feel panicked. It was meant to show just how terrible things really are and how anxious we should feel. Um, and it's, it was described as, God, nurses trying to comfort isolated patients in Brazil um, in a Brazilian COVID isolation ward. Two disposable gloves tied full of warm water simulating the impossible human contact. Um, so to the frontliners and a stark reminder of the grim situation our world is in. So this was presented as just how terrible it is. Wasn't received that way, however. Um, the, the people looked at this and concluded rightly that this is ridiculous and appalling, including a lot of nurses who were in contact with me and who said that they would never uh, allow anyone to, to die under such conditions. Um, and uh, a, a retweet of the same information um, said a heartbreaking sign of the times isolation wards where patients die alone craving the touch of the loved ones nurses fill gloves with warm water to simulate the comfort they call it the hand of God but this time the person was appalled and um, the, the, the effort of, uh, of promoting this as a means of showing how threatening and how desperate the virus was completely failed as people reacted correctly to say, no, the problem here is how insane and heartless the reaction is and we should not be conducting ourselves in this manner. Uh, David, I'd like to add to that that uh, I've had a flurry of uh, contacts from people inside the NHS uh, telling me how appalled they are at what they're seeing. Some of them are, are saying that they're going to have to leave because they simply can't be party to, to what, uh, what they see going on. And I, I would like to say to those individuals who've contacted me over the last few days that, that your courage in wanting to speak out is very much appreciated. And the UK column will do everything we can to help you speak. But it's, it is incredible how we've seen one or two people contacting us. There's now a flurry of people from inside the NHS and the care services coming to us because they feel that there's nowhere else to get the truth out about what's happening. So uh, I think we're, we're in the next few days, in the coming 
UK column news reports, we're going to have some extremely interesting first-hand testimonies of what is going on inside our supposed care and NHS system. Uh, David. Uh, and yes, I, I've had exactly the same conduct. Uh, Brian, we've, we've not had a chance to discuss this yet, but I've had multiple pe people from the NHS um, contact me and wanting to speak out in exactly the same way. And uh, yes, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of testimony, I think, in the coming days and weeks. Indeed. Uh, well, uh, over the weekend, this particular um, clip, video clip, was doing the rounds. It stars Edwina Curry. And um, we just want you to have a look at this and then we'll have a little bit of discussion about what this lady had to say. Exercising their freedom not to have a vaccine and they're perfectly healthy. I don't want them sitting next to me in the theatre. I don't want them standing next to me at the theatre bar. I don't want them next to me or anywhere near me or even in the same carriage on the train. So, uh, yeah, they can exercise their freedom by staying at home. But millions and millions of us, you know, 15 million pensioners, we can't wait to get out. You know what the main side effect is of being vaccinated, don't you? And that's itchy feet. And we're going to go out there. And I think there's an obligation on government to try and keep us as safe as possible. We are mm. the majority. Uh, well, for me, that was just an incredible clip. The sheer ignorance and arrogance of that lady was truly unbelievable. She, she's had her backs. She's desperate to get out there into the theatres where, of course, people go. She wants to rub sh shoulders with her kind of people. That's other vax people in the bars. Uh, you can make a, your own independent decision that you don't want to be vax, but uh, you're not going to get much in Edwina Curry's uh, world. David, I don't know what you felt about that, but the comments, of course, that were coming back, people were truly shocked. I'm going to use the two adjectives again, ignorant and arrogant in equal measure, which we are seeing across most of the political spectrum at the moment. Yes, and this is where social media is a game changer because it allows people a small voice to say, no, you're not on, dear. Uh, wasn't it remarkable, though? Firstly, um, it was shrill and full of panic, right? So this is not someone who's thinking clearly. This is someone who's reacting in an emotional way and um, is, is looking to control people to control their own fear, firstly. Secondly, the whole totalitarian aspect of it, we're going to lock you up. Don't, don't even question it. We're going to lock you up because I want to lock you up. And what's the... What's the, 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 the justification? Well, we're the majority. The majority, 51% want to lock up the 49%, so the 49% have no, no rights at all. So this is exactly what Lord Hailsham was talking about. We've, we've been discussing uh, on A Distance Guide to the Constitution, the problem with democracy. And then the, the snideness about side effects. Now, this was knowing, right, because she knows that the information's coming out about ad, uh, adverse vaccine reactions, including death. And so she's talking, she's making a fun of it, a joke of it. Oh, it's just itchy feet, right? That there are essentially no vaccine reactions. Now, she's a public figure. She's communicating to, to a mass audience. You would think someone in public life would show a little bit more um, thoughtfulness and, uh, and, and regard for the potential danger that their words could, uh, could cause people. If they conclude from that that there's no there's no risk and they go along and get vaccinated and they're seriously harmed, you think people would be more responsible? 
uh, one would hope they were. Now, I took some action because I was so appalled with the video clip. And what sort of action can you take? Well, the immediate action is to go on to the person's um, Twitter page to see what else they have to say. And of course, you can comment. So let's have a look at another one of her tweets. And if you don't get vaccinated, sadly, you could be for the record. They're all uptight about possible vaccine passports, as I made clear on Good Morning Britain. Any such should include a negative test for those not vaccinated yet. But to fill theatres and stadia, what's the problem? So that uh, was very clear that she's all for vaccination passports as long as it allows her to get into her beloved theatres. Um, but of course, what she'd actually said is that one of the side effects was itchy feet. And I took exception to that. So this is what I posted back. Edwina, read your comments suffering with itchy feet after being vaccinated. Are you aware of those suffering more severely after vaccination? Here's government data of thousands suffering and hundreds dying. And I put the active links to the actual MHRA data. And I know that that was being circulated. It circulated because I was able to check it over the hours and uh, the day or so following. But this is exactly what you can do to get the information in front of people. Don't let these people get away with it. Now, what else did she have to say on her Twitter page? Well, she had this to say. Um, so um, this was an interview which I haven't seen, uh, but she's getting she's getting at the old uh, Labour government and she's saying, is he describing the invasion of Iraq? And uh, I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. So what else we got here? Um, she says, clarify, darlings, I'm against compulsory vaccination. Unnecessary. Persuasion works pretty well. Is that what she was doing? Persuading? Well, she knows that the government is using this malicious applied behavioural psychology to make people stressed and fearful. So that's what she means by persuasion. I'm relaxed about showing I've been vaccinated as I have. Had to have yellow fever for some countries and a negative test will do just as well. Somebody called her Wicked Witch of the West. But I thought, wonderful, uh, she's getting at labour over weapons of mass destruction while the Conservative government is pumping out its own version of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, OK, well, here's The Guardian then this morning, because, of course, we've got uh, solutions. Uh, and the solution, David, is that the G7 must push for a global vaccination. This is how it could do it. This is an article by Gordon Brown. Now, before we get into the uh, the, the text of this, uh, just you wanted to mention the the graphic that they chose to, to, to use to, to feature on this. Uh, what were your thoughts yeah, this on is, that? This is a, a wonderful little graphic. This, this is, whoever came up with this must be so proud. Right, because here we have the vac the, the whole earth has been vaccinated, so they've been jabbed. And you see on the on the jab side, the earth is going in a kind of jolly colour of green and everyone's looking happy and they're uplifted. And on the on the unvaccinated side, which is a dark and sombre red, you know, implying danger and stopping. Uh, we've got stooped and, and sick looking little people. And on the top there's this person pleading, look at these sick people down here. Can you not do something to help them? They need vaccinated too. An outstanding piece of propaganda in one in one diagram. I thought so 10 out of 10 for that. That's it. That should get the today's Joseph Goebbels Award uh, for propaganda. Uh, OK, well, let's uh, let's see what uh, Gordon Brown had to say then. He uh, said in June, President Biden will fly to, into Britain to attend his first summit of the world's richest nations. Of course, he's talking about the G7, which is taking place in Cornwall. 
uh, we're looking forward to our opportunity to, uh, I don't know, see Joe Biden or something. Uh, if he survives that long, the question is, will he still be alive by the time the, uh, uh, the G7 comes along? Uh, but Gordon Brown says, uh, vaccine diplomacy, uh, whereby nations selectively donate vaccines to friendly allies, is little more than pinprick diplomacy uh, because only the favoured few will be COVID free. So uh, we have to get the, the catchphrases and the, the keywords in there because it's pinprick diplomacy. Uh, he went on to say the bigger barrier ahead will not be the shortage of vaccines ever, but the shortage of money to pay for them. This will require at least $30 billion, 22 billion pounds a year. Uh, and he said special drawing rights, the creation through the International Monetary Fund of 650 billion dollars of new international money is indeed one welcome way forward. Uh, he said uh, the cost may still be in the billions, but the benefit will be in the trillions. And David, uh, my question is the benefit to whom? Who will get this benefit? And will does it? Well, what benefit will it could be possibly get? Well, I mean, you can you can rely on Gordy for complete incoherent nonsense, but a couple of points on this, right? We're we're going to print more money because that'll fix things. So that is that is Gordon's big idea. He was only got one, and he keeps coming back to it. Uh, I'm surprised it's as little as six hundred and fifty billion dollars. Um, I thought we were only doing forward planning in the trillions now, and we're talking global. So I, I'm I'm surprised he's so he's so modest in his ambitions. Um, and uh, this, you know, the, the, the savings will be in trillions, you know, citation required. But he, essentially, his argument here is, look, we've shut down the entire economy. We've shut down the world economy based on something no more harmful than seasonal flu, where the actual long-term all-cause mortality rates don't even register this as an issue. Um, and the effect on the global economy has been catastrophic because of our actions. Now... If we give, if we print some more money and we vaccinate everyone, then that will allow us to stop damaging the world economy. And and when the damage stops, the savings are tremendous. And he does seem to be ignoring the other option, which is Gordy, just don't do anything. It's always a good thing when you do nothing. Don't do anything, and and things will be just fine. Uh, well, at the very least, they've got to reverse the, the cause of the problem in the first place, however. And uh, as we've already mentioned, in certain parts of the United States, that is happening at this point. Um, so uh, anyway, let's uh, move on to, to this one, David. Yes, uh, th thanks here to um, Dr. Bruce Scott, one of our contributors. Um, uh, he is uh, highlighting uh, the nature of... Um, what is and is not permissible in terms of international law, and specifically from uh, the Nuremberg trials. So this is an extract from uh, the report on the war trials, which reads, uh, the voluntary consent uh, of the human subject is absolutely essential. Uh, this means that the person involved uh, should have legal capacity to give consent, uh, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge uh, and, uh, and uh, comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. Now, 
uh, the point that Dr Bruce Scott was making is that uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish Government, and indeed when the time comes, uh, Boris and the Government in Westminster, have more to worry about than re-election, uh, because they've been in contravention of that. They have to worry about uh, being on trial for the deception, uh, for the manipulation, and for the uh, contravention of the Nuremberg Code that's been going on as part of the COVID policy. Yes, now let's uh, move back on to vaccines again. And uh, Dr Naomi Wolf uh, pushing this out on Twitter. Uh, every single feminist health practitioner in America knows that if an experimental vaccine causes menopausal women who haven't menstruated for more than two years immediately to menstruate, something is very wrong with it. That's quite a statement, and I haven't seen anything about that in uh, mainstream press, David. No, and she links to an article here, and the article goes into some detail of the reports coming in of this. I would have to say the article is a bit woke. It does describe women or menstruators. Uh, note, they're called women. But it, it, it does contain a lot of uh, valuable information. And, uh, and Dr Naomi Wolf continues in her um, uh, thread she says multiple reports of menopausal women uh, menstruating again upon getting vaccinated, which would mean the vaccine sloughs off the uterine lining. Correct. So she's highlighting here concern over the effect on, on female reproductive system, on female health, and um, also on the, um, uh, the, the, the potential risk um, to uh, reproduction in the future. Is this going to affect the fertility of women and indeed men in uh, in months and years to come. We obviously don't know. Yes. Um, and uh, coming back to Scotland then, um, we have a new Freedom of Information release, or at least within the last week or so, uh, on uh, the number of deaths with no underlying health conditions in Scotland. Yes. So this is from uh, the start of the pandemic until um, January 2021. And the total number is uh, under 600, 596 deaths involving COVID-19 and no underlying health conditions, which compares to about 10,000 uh, with COVID mentioned on the death certificate. So in other words, around 6%. Yes, which is not so dissimilar to the types of figures we've seen from other parts of the world, including the rest of the UK. Uh, and of course, that's part of the explanation for why uh, we challenge uh, this figure of 130,000 or so that we are at um, attributed towards COVID uh, from the British government at the moment. Uh, and if you want to know more, there's an article on the front page of the UK Column website. Now, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us out there and that'd be very much appreciated. Uh, and also please do share any of our material you find on the various platforms. Excellent. Thanks, Mike. Right. Tomorrow, uh, we've got a uh, premiere uh, video coming out at one o'clock. So tomorrow, Tuesday, the 13th at one o'clock. And uh, this is uh, very own Mark Anderson, who is uh, talking about COVID and how that inter interlinks with global cities and equity. Uh, we've got a little bit of the uh, interview here, but that premiere will be out at one o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, March 18th, just this past March 18th, 2021, was the first virtual meeting of this calendar year sponsored by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, and it's their Pritzker Forum on Global Cities. Pritzker is the Hyatt Hotel family out of Chicago, 
a Jewish family who boasts J.B. Pritzker currently as the governor of Illinois. And they've put a lot of money into this forum on global cities, as has the Lester Crown Fortune, which is General Dynamics, a defense contractor, and a little bit from the Robert R. McCormick Foundation, which is ironic because the namesake of that foundation was the populist, nationalist, anti-globalist publisher of the Chicago Tribune. So that was a really uh, interesting uh, interview with Mark Anderson and just fascinating how the, the information about COVID and uh, the vaccination program interlinks with the drive for global cities, the smart cities, and uh, through to uh, the UN Sustainable uh, Future Program. And you, hold on, hold sorry. on, can't go just yet because we've got to mention. I'm sorry. This yes, is in Sky to the Constitution. Another... Right. Uh, episode five, part two. Why are there two parts? Well, in fact, there's going to be three parts, and that's because we're talking about democracy, David. And actually, uh, this became quite a problematic topic in the sense that uh, we hadn't originally intended that it should be uh, one episode, but actually, there, there has been so much to talk about uh, that it has had to be split up. Um, but this one, talking about parties and why we really don't need them as part of our political system. Yes, I find this a particularly interesting one to be involved in. Uh, I learned a lot from actually engaging in the conversation and realising that the party system, the system we've all grown up thinking as normal, is not actually traditionally the way things were done in Britain at all, and that Parliament was something else entirely. And uh, allowing that to, to sink in, I, I felt uh, to be particularly useful that there are other ways of organising ourselves and that uh, the system we have is, is, is particularly unhelpful when it comes to defending the people against the state. And that's the, the core underlying problem. Uh, indeed. Okay. Well, um, here we've got um, Chatham House, and I'm bringing this up on screen because we are prompted in looking at Ch Chatham House as a result of the conversation with, with Mark Anderson. But of course, if you look at Chatham House, one of the great organisations that's helping to disrupt everything to do with the UK con constitution, and of course is helping to promote the uh, global cities agenda. Uh, what was on the banner? Well, of course, it was the death of uh, His Royal Highness, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. And Chatham House said that the staff, members and council of the Royal Institute of International Affairs send their deepest condolences to Her Majesty's Queen Elizabeth II, patron of the Institute on the death of her husband, His Royal Highness, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. Um, so we, of course, recognise the death of Prince Philip. On Friday, uh, the UK column was already fully committed to our news. We did have one or two, well, one or two, we had one particular email um, saying that we'd been very disrespectful for not covering the death of uh, Prince Philip. Um, we replied by saying we'd already fully committed to the news that we had, and we don't always react immediately. Mainstream news jump on a particular topic, but we are acknowledging the death today, and I think we'd be um, sad in his death in a way that we should be sad in anybody else's death who's died. And of course, at the moment, we have hundreds of people dying as a result of vaccine adverse effects who simply do not get a mention in the mainstream media, which swamped the whole of the media waves with simply the subject of uh, the Duke of Edinburgh's death. So we're recognising he's died. Do we think it should have wall-to-wall -wall coverage over and above 
the many the hundreds of people who died for example as a result of vaccines no we don't and so we're not going to dwell on it more than that don't know whether you'd like to say any more than that mike no no that's fine we're, we're, we're coming back on to prince philip a little bit later yes okay right well we just wanted to say that the um, uk column no smoke without fire videos have been doing very well if you haven't seen them please do but this was the most important one we put out and of course this is the testimony of a lady called Nicola talking about what had happened to her husband after the vaccine. He is still in intensive care and I'm very sorry to say he's in a very serious condition. We are waiting for an update but 70,000 plus people have seen that. Please look at that, uh, this video, also look at the comments and another one for you to watch is the, the um, analysis that uh, Debbie Evans and myself did on the coronavirus adverse effects. That's over 40,000 views now. But again, look at the comments, just amazing comments from people with a lot of information and personal testimonies. And the latest uh, No Smoke Without Fire Part 4 is over 33,000. And again, with a very, very high number of comments. And some of those comments are telling us very clearly what the vaccine adverse effects have been. And aside from serious things, people are commenting how relatives that have been vaccinated, many of them appear grumpy, tired, depressed, and have developed symptoms that they've never ever had in their lives before. Um, and uh, David, uh, some good news, because Vernon Coleman has decided to uh return to the, uh, his chair and produce some more video content. Yes, excellent news uh, and an excellent video from Vernon Coleman um, as he describes the nature of the fight we're in, how important it is, and the fact that the other side's uh, tactics involve uh, lies standing on one another's shoulders just to be seen. Yes. Well, where does that take us? Well, we're going to put this one up on screen. It's a, it's a big thank you to Tap News, which has put up a truly excellent article talking about adverse reactions. And this article um, detailed, and it's all based on the government statistics. So we're going to say uh, thank you, Tap News. And if you haven't seen that article, have a look. Well, let's go to The Guardian, because uh, The Guardian has come out, well, the Friday the 9th of April, uh, with this article and this particular headline, A&E's swamped with patients seeking help for mild COVID jab side effects. Emergency departments re report surging cases of headaches linked to AstraZeneca jab amid concerns of blood clots. But the headline says very, um, very obviously there that uh, the patients are going for help with mild COVID jabs, uh, sorry, side effects from the jab. Uh, this was the first sentence in the article. People who've had the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine are seeking help at A&E despite having, quote, only mild side effects such as headaches in the wake of the controversy over whether the jab causes clots. Now, I found this um, a very disingenuous uh, start to the article because, of course, a headache can be an extremely serious condition. Uh, depending on how long you've had it and what the underlying cause is. In the article, there were some comments. This is an anonymous um, A&E consultant who had apparently said to The Guardian, we've seen huge numbers of AstraZeneca jab-associated headaches being sent in. And like all emergency departments, 
quote, we're scrabbling to cobble together some guidance, unquote, so as to sensibly reduce the number needing investigation. I gather some units are really struggling with this. So the Guardian says if you've got a headache, it's, it's only a problem. Well, that is completely untrue, only a mild problem. That's completely untrue. We've now got a lot of people with headaches that need full investigation. And what does the uh, consultant tell us that they're scrabbling with what to do? Uh, well, that sounds like they're almost implying they're being overrun. Are these people appearing on the yellow card statistics? Uh, well, I think they are, Mike, and we'll come into that. So let's look at another quote here, if we can bring that up. This is from an anonymous NHS spokesperson. The NHS says uh, that it will continue to offer a vaccine that is right for the individual. As the MHRA and JCVI have said, serious side effects are extremely rare. And Public Health England has issued updated advice on when individuals should seek urgent medical advice. Um, now, I'll just bring up some statistics from the government on migraine head headaches. This is just migraine headaches. Pfizer, 860. AstraZeneca, um, what have we got there? 3,773. And that's just headaches classified as migraine. But we just play this very short video clip which is a, just a tiny section of the UK government's own official statistics on vaccine adverse effects. So it'll scroll through, but uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, was the syndrome that, that no, it'll, it'll play, it'll play, it should play, let's stay with it. Um, yeah. This will basically take us through the slides. The first one was the gentleman who uh, basically had gone into hospital. These are all reports about fainting and loss of consciousness. So obviously, this is affecting the brain. Here's headaches. Pfizer, 10,257. AstraZeneca, 42,226. Dizziness, 3,034. AstraZeneca, 10,000. We've got baby abortions. And in a minute, we're going to see the slides come up to death. But this is something interesting. We hadn't seen this before. Now the reports include psychiatric conditions, impaired driving ability. We're not sure whether this is car driving or this is driving a mobility in the body. So we need some further work on this. Perhaps anybody who's medically qualified can tell us. There's the deaths, Pfizer 283, AstraZeneca 421. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of adverse effects. Uh, fights are over 100,000, 400,000 for AstraZeneca. So those were the British government's own statistics, which, of course, the public are not being told about. And uh, what uh, are the officials saying? Well, this was from the UK column a few days ago. Dr. June Rain, the chief executive of MHRA, we're saddened to hear about any deaths which have occurred since receiving COVID-19 vaccination. However, our surveillance does not suggest that the COVID-19 vaccines have contributed to any deaths. Have they done any full investigation? The answer is no. Um, David, I'm just pointing back to you because how is it possible for somebody who calls themselves a professional, a trained professional, to be faced with statistics showing deaths, failing to do any investigation, and then claiming there are no links? It's, it's remarkable. I mean, that's a lie. Our surveillance 
the yellow card system is their surveillance. Our surveillance doesn't suggest there are any links to any deaths. No, that's a lie. Your surveillance says there are links to 775 or whatever the total comes to deaths. Uh, but, so the uh, government's lying to us. Uh, but David, they justify this by claiming that, uh, of course, there's no definitive proof that any of those adverse reactions that are listed on the yellow card scheme can be definitively linked to the vaccine itself. It could be things that you would normally see from uh, any group of people, um, but because they were they occurred within a certain time frame, then they've been uh, added to that uh, uh, to that database. But of course, this is nonsense, and it's certainly not the position that they're taking with respect to COVID nineteen deaths. Yeah, what happened to the precautionary principle? What happened to, we're going to assume it's a problem until we prove otherwise. What happened to actually looking at the individual cases? Because when you look at the case histories, I mean, this is fine if you say, well, there's no proof. Like, oh, there's no proof, and, and let's move on. If you look at the case histories, some of these, then it doesn't seem credible that there's not a link. And to, to, to dismiss it in this fashion is just reckless in the extreme and I just cannot, I cannot comprehend how anyone could stand up and say that publicly. Yeah. So our challenge to the UK government is provide the documentary evidence of your investigation into the correlation between the yellow card vaccine adverse effects and the vaccines. Where is that data uh, which you claim to rely upon in saying that there are no causal links? Uh, we wait for a reply. Meanwhile, other documentation, very interesting. If you go on the website, here's uh, MHRA guidance on the side effects. Uh, you have to scroll right through this to find the data that we've just shown on screen. And we should make the point again, of course, there is no direct link from the yellow card uh, website itself. You've got to go elsewhere. You Effectively, you've got to go elsewhere to yeah. find it with any confidence. Uh, this is uh, Public Health England. Uh, this is the sort of information they're putting up on screen. But I found this particularly callous that if people go looking as to how they're going to deal with serious side effects, or maybe they've got a relative who's died, uh, what's important for the government was a banner that His Royal Highness had died. So you're looking for information to sort out your life or that of your relatives. But what's important for the government is distracting onto the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. And I think this is extremely unpleasant and callous psychology by the government. Let's go on through because this is what you find uh, they're telling you. And we're back on the fact that uh, um, side effects where you might get a bit of blurred vision, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, with uh, difficulty with your speech, weakness, drowsiness, seizures, uh, shortness of breath, chest pain, leg swelling, persistent abdominal pain. They are slowly starting to have to talk about uh, side effects. Uh, but hold on, before you move on from there, it says, if you're experiencing any of the following from around four days to four weeks after vaccination, you should seek medical advice urgently. And the first one is a new severe headache, which is not helped by usual pain curlers or is getting worse. Is this not what The Guardian was criticizing people for going to A&E for? Absolutely. So, so the whole of the advice that comes through is that if you've had a headache, and particularly if you've had a headache for more than four days, you should actually get yourself into A&E. And we spoke to the um, Royal Society of Emergency Medicines. I hope I've got that title correct. Uh, we spoke to them this morning because uh, one of their, uh, what the, their president was quoted in the Guardian article. And their position is very clear. If you get a headache, you need to 
go and get that sorted out, whether you're going to go to your GP or to A&E. But uh, what's happening is that, of course, the government is withdrawing the ability of people to speak to proper medical professionals. And we know that if you call the 111 helpline and ask them whether you should be actually going into A&E as a result of headaches, um, you're talking to somebody in a call centre who's not medically trained and they can give you no help at all. We'll be discussing this further on Wednesday. Uh, so what is the NHS doing? Well, it's encouraging people to go for a new app. Uh, here it is, your COVID recovery app. And you need to get this on your phone and it's going to guide you through the stages, uh, presumably to get over the vaccine adverse effects and to get your life back on track. This, uh, David, <laughs> with uh, Debbie Evans in particular, I run out of words to describe how vile uh, what we're seeing is you've just put the hand of God up there, which was particularly uh, disgusting. Now the NHS says, well, you don't want to be seeing a doctor. Uh, you don't want to be calling somebody in a call centre because they're not trained and they can't answer the questions. Uh, you need an app to tell you how to put your life back on track. Yes, because we're not going to spend any time on the likes of you, I suspect. Um, on the um, Prince Philip thing, one thing we haven't, of course, found out, um, the Queen, we know, received her second COVID jab on the 31st of March. Uh, when, when she received the first COVID jab, she received it alongside Prince Philip. We don't know whether Prince Philip received the second one on the same day because he'd been hospitalised in the interim, so maybe that changed things. It, it would be quite good to know, uh, has he died just after receiving the second jab? Um, you know, that, that maybe, there's, maybe there's a link, but uh, we'll be absolutely sure not to talk about that because there's a lot of links to high-profile celebrities getting the jabs in high-profile circumstances and then 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 dying shortly afterwards, uh, including Martin Hagler, uh, the boxer, and, um, and we're then assured there's no link. But uh, I'm not so sure. No, it's, uh, these are good questions. Now let's uh, just come back on to Prince Philip for a little bit, uh, because of course uh, Prince Philip recognises being the founder of the World Wildlife Fund, absolutely behind the uh, green agenda for quite, uh, well, so I saw one mainstream person saying even when it was unfashionable. Now unfortunately he is uh, remembered for this particular quote, in the event that I'm reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus to contribute something to solving overpopulation. Now uh, you could be generous and say that this was one of his uh, uh, dark, humorous uh, quotes. Uh, but uh, let's just have a look at uh, a little bit of video here because this is an interview uh, of, of him with, uh, with the BBC uh, for his 90th birthday, talking about the population uh, situation. What do you see as the biggest challenges in, in conservation? Uh, the, the growing human population. Because if where we are, there's nothing else. And do you have views about what should be done about that? Can't you guess? Uh, well, it could be on a on a spectrum from mass sterilisation to no, no, uh, no. to to uh, you know greater availability of contraception. I don't know. I don't know what your views are as to what can be done about it. Well, I think I think uh, it might be described as a voluntary family limitation. So so that was his position, and this is a very uh, uh, common. Um, policy position for people that are currently in uh, at the upper end of uh, 
of governance at the moment. Uh, Boris Johnson's father, uh, absolutely, as many people know, one of the greatest proponents of population reduction uh, for quite some time. So Stanley Johnson here writing in Conservative Home uh, a couple of years ago, Why Britain Needs a Population Policy. He's written books on the subject. Many people think that or don't really know the history of uh, Stanley Johnson, but aside from writing multiple books on this issue, uh, he was a European commissioner at one point. He's, uh, he he's, uh, moves in these kinds of, of Green New Deal circles. But as we mentioned, Prince Philip, one of the founders of the, of the World Wildlife Fund, they've been campaigning on these kinds of issues for many years. So just let's have one example. Uh, this is the Living Planet report from 2008. Uh, let's have a look at what they're saying. Uh, the possibility of financial recession pales in comparison to the looming ecological credit crunch. Uh, and uh, they say reductions in population, individual reductions in individual comp uh, consumption and reductions in the resources used or waste submitted in producing goods and services all result in a smaller footprint. This is a policy that has been being developed for many, many years, and we're continuing to see it uh, being pushed closer to the mainstream political uh, policy arena. Um, Mark Carney, uh, let's get him on screen because he's just about to announce the Glasgow Finance Alliance for Net Zero uh, at President Biden's Earth Day Global Climate Summit next week. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, Bloomberg here talking about that aims for a global banking climate pledge. Um, and this is the type of policy that's right at the heart of this global climate finance uh, leading towards uh, population reduction. Uh, David, it is uh, quite an interesting area of policy that many, many of the people that find themselves at the top of policy making or, or have, have uh, the, the ability con to contribute to policy making at the moment, uh, if they haven't been campaigning on, about it for many, many years, they certainly are on that bandwagon now. Yes, uh, and a bandwagon is exactly what it is. And this is a bandwagon that's been rolling for a long time. I mean, back in the 19th century, we had Malthus. And, and, and the Malthusian idea was that uh, the, the human population was, was, Im was imminently about to outstrip uh, any possible hope of having enough food, and, and there would be mass starvation. Uh, and and uh, in the 19th century, of course, everyone got richer and better fed. Uh, but not uh, put off by that, um, uh, there was a book written in the late 1960s called The Population Bomb, which was hugely popular, best-selling book, and it said by the 1970s there's going to be mass starvation everywhere, there's just no possibility there'll be enough food to feed everyone, there's going to be mass starvation and, and we're all doomed. And that, that didn't happen either. The author was, however, given a, a genius award. Uh, so there you go. And, and we're running the same thing again, although this time it's subtly different because no one's actually saying we'll run out of food anymore. And the population isn't growing as fast as it, as it has done. In fact, it looks like it's going to level off. So there really, if ever there was a point not to, to have a problem with this, it's now, and yet we're still got a problem. But the, the answer is, of course, global warming. Uh, because that changes things somehow, even though there's uh, no evidence for that being a problem either. Any thoughts? Well, uh, the policies there, uh, more and more we're talking about what is the policy, where does that policy come from? If you follow that through, you find the people pressing the agenda. Uh, but we have seen over many years uh, a, a lot of documentation which is talking about the need to reduce the population. So can I believe people sit in 
rooms behind closed doors and discuss this subject. Absolutely, I can. Um, David, let's uh, move to Scotland now. And of course, uh, you have a new political party up there. We don't like political parties, but, but you have a new one anyway. It's called the Alba Party, if I pronounced that correctly. Um, and uh, well, it's getting a bit controversial for them. Yes, so here we see a uh, reported by Wings Over Scotland, uh, who is now no longer part of the SNP drive towards independence. He's part of the, the, the out, he's been cast into the outer darkness as well. So he's talking about the Alba party. And uh, so here we see uh, Denise Finley tweeting, uh, Alba's uh, women's conference, Margaret Lynch on queer theory, quote, the next move is to reduce the age of consent to 10 years of age. LGBT youth in Stonewall, Scotland have received over £1 million of Scottish government funding. End quote. Q, um, uh, quite a reaction on uh, social media and elsewhere. Now, who sent this? Well, it was Margaret Lynch. And here we see a, a strange thing that increasingly the old political divisions don't seem to matter anymore. Margaret Lynch, she, she believes in things like, well, Scotland being independent within Europe. I think she means the EU. She doesn't say that. Um, and she's got a, a, a background entirely in the sort of uh, charitable sector and uh, you know, very left wing, uh, but she's not prepared to buy some of the new left wing ideas over gender and uh, the uh, and sexual conduct uh, involving children, and she's been highlighting uh, the fact that there's an organisation called the ILGA World, the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association. And in case you're wondering, yes, it is sponsored by George Soros's Open Society, uh, amongst many other funders. And in this organisation, uh, as members, there, are, there is indeed LGBT Youth Scotland and Stonewall Scotland. And this organisation, right, with that membership, have put out uh, a feminist declaration so this is the Feminist Declaration on the occasion of the 25th anniversary of the Fourth World Conference on Women. Um, and it, it, it basically says uh, that uh, recognising that several member states lack political courage or will to commit to an ambitious political declaration 25 years on from the Fourth Conference, uh, we undertake um, to uh, engage in this, this meaningful declaration. So in this declaration, there's some quite strange things. Um, they're, they're talking here about eliminating all laws and policies that punish, criminalise same-sex intimacy, gender affirmation, abortion, so because there can be no abortion laws, HIV transmission, non-disclosure and exposure, that seems a bit confused, and limit the exercise of bodily autonomy, including laws limiting legal capacity of adolescents to engage in sexual activity. So they're saying uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's unacceptable to have any legal restrictions on adolescents and their bodily autonomy. And then they repeat this later on. They, they call for the end of the criminalization and stigmatization of adolescent sexuality uh, and ensure uh, and promote a positive approach towards young people and adolescent sexuality that enables, recognises and respects their agency to make informed, independent decisions on matters concerning their bodily autonomy, pleasure and fundamental freedoms. So they're saying every adolescent has the right to have sex, sexual conduct, uh, sexual activity, and that they, they, they must not be um, uh, restricted. That's their position. Now, 
Next question is, of course, what do they mean by adolescence? Now, here, uh, the Alba Party and Wings Over Scotland have referred, not unreasonably, to the World Health Organization, and the World Health Organization define adolescence as a phase of life between the ages of 10 and 19. So that would mean um, full sexual freedom for 10-year-olds. Presumably. And that's the point that was being made here. Now, there was a backlash, and the backlash involved the Times newspaper. The Times came to the rescue of Stonewall Scotland and LGBT Youth Scotland. Uh, they reported the Alba candidate, uh, Margaret Lynch, age of consent claims are dangerous, says Stonewall. They don't say wrong exactly, they say dangerous. And, and it comes down to what's the definition of adolescence. So the Times says that this, the document we referred to earlier uh, has, refers to other documents, and those other documents refer to uh, the um, Luxembourg uh, guidelines on language and, and definitions, and those guidelines define adolescent in a non-numerical term as, this, as the phase between childhood and adulthood. So the, the defence says, well, we didn't say 10, we just said the phase between childhood and adulthood and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a process there due, by which the, the child will slowly become an adult and slowly undertake adult responsibilities and, and, and um, define their own course in life. So um, the attack on the Alba party came in uh, from many sources. Here's uh, one from the SNP's uh, Lloyd Melville, the National Communications Officer of SNP students. And Lloyd here, who's a student at Stirling University, said the Alba Party is full of socially conservative, regressive bigots. Uh, the behaviour of their candidates and supporters is testament to this. Anyone who wants to build a better, fairer Scotland should avoid them like the plague. If they get into Parliament, make, them, make no mistake, they will side with the Tories against the progressive policies and oppose LGBT plus rights at every turn. So... The code here is, if you are socially conservative, you are a bigot. This is the viewpoint of the SNP, um, uh, uh, and there is no limit to this. It's whatever happens to be uh, on, the, on the agenda, because obviously the, the whole trans agenda is very new, and the, we're calling people bigots for other reasons before, but we've moved on now. Um, it's worth noting that one of the organisations uh, will be known to you, Brian, LGBT Youth Scotland. They were run by uh, the common purpose trained James Rennie, who was convicted of an appalling uh, series of attacks on children, so, uh, and including the rape of a baby. And he was sentenced to 13 years in prison, uh, although I think he's going to serve a good deal less than that and might already be out. Um, Patrick Harvey of the Scottish Green Party was also defending Stonewall against this attack. He said, as sure as night falls day, those who have stirred up vitriol, so seriously stirring up hatred. This is referring to the new act that's come, the new law that's come into Scotland, stirring up hatred, we'll see you in jail. Those who have stirred up vitriol and prejudice against trans people are broadening their attacks using bigoted tropes as old as the hills. Any political party that finds this acceptable has no place in a modern progressive Scotland. So Alba, the political party, is no place. So they're going to have to be censored. And he's uh, retweeting um, Stonewall there. And uh, it's interesting that... Um, uh, that uh, Patrick Harvey, the, the head of the Green Party, it, it can be seen here, this is a, a speech he was making a wee while ago, um, standing next to um, the founder of Pride Edinburgh, uh, a man called uh, John Hayne, uh, now deceased, 
but a former member of the Paedophile Information Exchange. And here you see the head of the Scottish Green Party and the then head of the Scottish Liberal Democrats uh, sharing, a, sharing a platform with them and making speeches to the crowd. Quite happy that that was an association they wanted to have. So we see here um, one of the splits that's coming in Scottish politics is between uh, the socially conservative and the people who see no limit or any limit on, on innovations in how we live our lives and how we bring up our children and what we believe as bigotry to be driven out and, and uh, called, called out in the most uncompromising terms. Those splits are running through Scottish society and the old divisions are much less clear now. David, just to uh, respond on the um, subject of James Rennie. Yes, uh, James Rennie, of course, was a common purpose graduate. Also at that time, there was another common, common purpose advisory board mem member called uh, Matthew Byrne, who was uh, jailed for just vile offences. Um, the interesting thing was that he was on the advisory board, which, of course, was working secretly, as common purpose always does. Uh, recruiting other common purpose graduates. When at the time we asked uh, common purpose what checks had been done as a result of these two particular individuals who were clearly very dangerous to um, youngsters but also to adults, um, common purpose wasn't interested in following up on that. Certainly we never had any communication from them and uh, that organisation has continued along its way. Uh, of course much of it paid by public money. So a lot of questions still to be asked about how many other individuals were within the common purpose networks uh, opera operating in a secret, secretive way, presumably to procure children. A question never answered. And of course, uh, another question never answered was uh, uh, David Cameron shaking hands with Matthew Byrne, if you remember in, Correct. in that photograph. So. Uh, we don't quite know uh, what was what, going on there. Indeed. Uh, but let's bring David Cameron on screen because, of course, Greensill, uh, Lex Greensill and his uh, hedge fund have been in the press uh, over the last couple of days. It's been a uh, number of weeks now of the, the uh, Times, Sunday Times, uh, pushing out information on this. And the latest is, of course, that uh, uh, Lex Greensill, David Cameron, uh, both met with uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, um, last year. Uh, and but it was all above board, uh, Brian. You don't need to worry about it. It was all above board. Uh, and uh, well, what was it about? Well, actually, we covered this in in October. And the question from one of our viewers was, "Is a hedge fund called Greensill funding NHS pay?" And the answer was no. Uh, but what they were doing, and this seems to have been the outcome of this meeting, uh, was that they were providing what was effectively uh, a payday loan scheme free of charge for the NHS. Uh, at the end of last year. So this is the Greensill website. Uh, it was called Earned, E-A-R-N-D. Uh, welcome to the real-time pay revolution. Uh, we're thrilled to announce the launch of Earned. Uh, and uh, they were uh, uh, giving this, I mean, they, they were at the time providing this service to many different types of business, but they were uh, they had agreed to, uh, to offer that free of charge to the NHS. But anyway, uh, obviously this uh, has hit the headlines. Uh, David Cameron, uh, says he broke no codes of conduct and no government rules in his lobbying on behalf of Greensill uh, with the government. But having reflected on it uh, at length, he accepts there are lessons to be learned. Uh, what did Gordon Brown have to say? Because, of course, he had to have something to say. Uh, he said, David, we need new laws to deal with this kind of thing. That was basically his position. Uh, it is incredible. 
it doesn't seem to matter actually how many laws we have in the statute books, if you want to call them laws anyway. Um, this kind of thing continues. It does, it does. And um, the revolving door between the state and big business continues. And uh, the, the use of regulation, uh, the control of regulation by big business to make sure that there are no nasty upstart small businesses taking the market and offering a better choice to consumers at lower price continues. It all continues um, as long as the state uh, accumulates all the power towards the centre. It will always continue. Yeah, it, indeed. And you do talk about the revolving door there. We should just remember, of course, that Lex Greensill was an advisor to David Cameron while David Cameron was prime minister. And then as soon as David Cameron was out of his job as prime minister, he went to work for Lex Greensill. So uh, nothing to see there. No. Uh, anyway, OK, let's move on then to war. Uh, and uh, and what have we got? Uh, uh, well, Ukraine is demanding to be let into NATO. Uh, and not surprisingly, the Russians aren't terribly ha happy about it. So Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, uh, has uh, he well, he's heading off to uh, NATO tomorrow. I think he's going to be meeting uh, Jens Stoltenberg. Uh, and uh, so he spoke to Jens Stoltenberg by phone uh, already. Uh, he's very keen to get uh, involved. He said that such a permanent presence of NATO in Ukraine should be a powerful deterrent to Russia, which continues the large-scale militarization of the region and hinders merchant shipping. Well, let's just remember that the reason that Russia is uh, building up its military in the region is because NATO has broken its promises not to uh, uh, drive itself right up to Russia's borders. Uh, but anyway, What's the Wall Street Journal saying about this? Well, in fact, quite it's in most of the mainstream press. Uh, Russia warns of full-scale war in eastern Ukraine, blames Kiev, uh, and uh, they say the buildup of Russian troops on the border and escalating rhetoric threatened to derail efforts to reach a peace, peaceful settlement. Uh, here's Sky News. Russia inside the Kremlin's military buildup along the Ukraine border. Uh, the Times, Russia masses troops on the Ukraine border. Uh, Deutsche Welle. Uh, Russia, after sending troops to Ukraine border, calls escalation unprecedented, and so on. But what did uh, what did the uh, uh, did Vladimir Putin have to say about this? Well, he uh, really was quite upset about the Turkish involvement. So he had a telephone conversation with uh, uh, with the Turkish uh, president uh, Erdogan, um, and uh, he was saying. Um, that uh, he was concerned about the provocative actions of the Ukrainians uh, at, at, Erdo at Erdogan's request. Putin described Russia's approaches to resolving the Ukrainian crisis uh, as uh, he said that uh, uh, he had emphasized that the 2015 Minsk package of measures has no alternative as a foundation for, the for any kind of settlement. And he expresses concern that U Ukraine, and this is, these are his words, dodging the implementation of the Minsk agreements uh, and has uh, recently resumed dangerous provocations on the contact line. Uh, the Russians absolutely saying that this will result in conflict if it is, doesn't get wound back somewhat. But at the same time, we've got the Defender Europe exercises going on. Uh, and what could they possibly be about? Well, of course, when we start looking at uh, the, uh, the propaganda around this produced by uh, various participants, we always see as maps of the Black Sea Ukraine and the Russian border. Um, so I don't really know where this is going to end, Brian, but it's amazing just how this has managed to ramp itself up again 
as soon as Trump is out of the way and Biden is in office. We're back. We're back on the uh, wars and more wars. Well, the best we can do is continue to report and analyse what's what we think is really going on. But it seems that uh, the deep state in those uh, rooms behind closed doors are doing everything they can to ramp up the next series of violence. Hopefully we're not going to let them. Yes. Now, uh, David, Nathaniel, Nathaniel Harris um, is, uh, has published uh, this article, uh, The uh, Satanic Pedophile Ring. Tell us about it. This is a, a long article containing a, a, a lot of detailed evidence. Um, and it's been published on the Cathy Fox blog. So I encourage people to go and, and look at it there. It's, it, it concerns the um, disclosure by a, a child of a satanic abuse network. And um, although initially the, the, the disclosures might seem somewhat fantastical, when the, the links between the various people and the links between these people and satanic belief and networks of satanic belief are uh, examined, the allegations seem all too plausible. Um, so this is something that he's decided to publish. It is with the police as well. Um, the publication presumably means there's not a lot happening there. Uh, I would encourage people to look at this document. Um, and I, I use it as comparison to something else that I spotted this week, uh, which is a campaign and a petition to the Scottish Parliament uh, on behalf of the Witches of Scotland. And uh, this is justice for people accused and convicted under the Witchcraft Act, 1563 to 1736. So this is obviously uh, bang up to date. And um, this is a, a campaigning organisation. And what do they want? Well, they want a pardon for everyone convicted of witchcraft. They want an apology for all those accused of and convicted of witchcraft. And they want a national memorial to respect the memory of those accused and convicted of witchcraft. Now, I, I'm a little puzzled by this. I, I had a quick look on Amazon as to what textbooks are available, what books are available on witchcraft in Scotland, and there are many. Uh, I, I got one slide here with three. Um, the Magic and Witchcraft of Scotland, Witchcraft and Belief in Early Modern Scotland, which refers to the same time, Witchcraft and Folk Belief in the Age of the Enlightenment, which is the, that time and, and later. So. The witchcraft does exist, it exists now, and people have been harmed by it. I'm curious as to what this organised, this, this campaign, which is of Scotland with its nice occult logo, is trying to achieve. Are they trying to say there's no such thing as witchcraft? Because that doesn't seem to be true. Are they trying to say that it's automatically acceptable? Um, and and or are they trying to say that it doesn't exist? I'm not exactly clear, but in either case, I think that the people now suffering from Satanist ritual abuse will not be helped by a campaign that says to the people of Scotland, not only is there nothing to see here, but we should only be apologizing um, to the people convicted or accused of witchcraft, and uh, they're the real victims here. This seems to be very dangerous um, towards the children who are currently the subject of abuse on an ongoing basis. But unfortunately, the government doesn't show any interest or compassion in those children, David, which is an ongoing subject uh, we can do more of, well, certainly will be doing more of in uh, future news and, and some of the UK column documentaries. Um, the last uh, thing I have is slightly humorous. Do you want to 
do this one first? Oh, well, yes, we will. This um, apologies to our audience today. This should have come into this section when I was talking on the vaccines. I felt it was important that our viewers should see the actual guidance that's that's being given to the public by health officials. So let's bring Dr. June Rain on screen to hear what she has to say. Review alongside the critical assessment of leading independent scientists in the Commission on Human Medicines shows that there is no difference that blood clots in veins are occurring more than would be expected in the absence of vaccination for either vaccine. The public can have every confidence in the thoroughness of our review. We have also received five reports of a different, a rare form of blood clot in the cerebral sinuses, cerebral sinus vein thrombosis, or CSVT, occurring together with lowered blood platelets shortly after vaccination with the COVID-19 vaccine AstraZeneca. This type of blood clot can rarely occur naturally in unvaccinated people, as well as in people with COVID-19 disease. A further review of these events is ongoing, but a causal relationship with the vaccine has not yet been established. And the rate of occurrence of these CSVT events among the 11 million people vaccinated is extremely rare. While we continue to investigate these cases as a precautionary measure, we would advise anyone with a headache that lasts more than four days after vaccination or bruising beyond the site of vaccination after a few days to seek medical attention. And we will communicate further on the outcome of this further review when it's complete. The MHRA assessed this data alongside the benefits of the vaccine in preventing COVID-19 with its associated risk of hospitalisation and death, and determined that the benefits firmly remain to outweigh the risks. So you should continue to receive your vaccine when you get the call or the second dose as soon as you're contacted. And I want to end by expressing our sincere gratitude to those who have sent reports to the MHRA and remind everyone that you can report and you should report all suspected side effects to COVID-19 vaccines through the coronavirus yellow card scheme. Yeah, I find, I find that quite offensive, Brian, because because we still, you know, she still maintains that there, there's a risk reward uh, choice to be made here, that the risk uh, is outweighed by the reward. Uh, yeah, but, but you talk about the reward, but you don't talk about the risks. Yeah, but of course, she's talking about the risk of dying from COVID-19. But, yeah. but where is that risk? Well, uh, but the key point I wanted to bring out of that is on the subject of headaches. She is saying, yes, you should go and seek medical attention. So I want uh, our audience to be very clear. We know what the government is saying, that you should go and seek medical attention if you've, had, if you've got a prolonged headache, because this could be something very serious. But according to The Guardian, if you've got a headache, that's just a mild side effect. And really, you shouldn't be crowding up A&E. Um, so chaos, but deliberate chaos. But she's such a lovely lady, such a smooth voice. And those words tripped off her tongue so well. I think we'd like to bring her into the studio so that we could question her more closely. OK, uh, OK, you can arrange that then. Uh, look, we will end on this one uh, because this is CNN. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, David, because I think they've made a mistake in their headline. They said Boris Johnson could come out of the pandemic smelling of roses. Um, and I think they've missed out the words, the stuff you spread on. 
Uh, I think it should say Boris Johnson could come out of the pandemic smelling of the stuff you spread on roses. Uh, but how could anybody really justify a headline like that? I've, I've not the faintest idea. Right, the, the, now, well, no, actually, I do have the faintest idea because Nicola Sturgeon, who, who's been doing Boris with VAT added, Boris but 20% worse, uh, consistently during the whole thing. So she's been following Boris, but then, then you know, Sturgeonizing it. Um, she's actually been doing quite well on popularity con you know, polls and things. And, and so is Boris compared to the opposition. Um, and it seems that having a politician constantly in the news and constantly in front of people, um, constantly lying their little heads off um, and saying that, be afraid, and I'm, I am the person that will save you from the fear that I've just persuaded you to believe in, um, is actually quite good politics, and maybe they're right. Okay, it looks like we're ending there. Thank you for that, uh, David. I'll just say a big thank you, as always, to our viewers and listeners, wherever you are in UK or worldwide. Thank you for everything you are doing. We are receiving amazing information, uh, documents, personal testimony from professionals, uh, but the whole quality of the information coming into the UK column is greatly enhanced, and this makes our work a lot easier. It means we can put out higher quality information. So if, if you know what's going on and you want to talk to us, you can do that in complete confidence. Uh, but these professional reports from doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, policemen is uh, very important to what we do. So please do keep bringing those reports in. Uh, we'll be back in 10 minutes on the UK Column live stream if you are uh, a member. And uh, we'll be back. What day is this? I will be back on Wednesday at 1pm as usual. Indeed. Otherwise. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.